Amen. So, uh, are, are you tired of Matthew 4.19 yet? Are you tired, just tired of hearing it? We've talked about it for a year. These three, these, these three lines right here from Jesus. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. All right? Um, you know, maybe this is the one that you feel like, well, I've, I'm not a fisherman. I don't fish. I don't even know what to do. I don't know how to bait a hook. I don't know how to do those things. Well, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he said, listen, guys, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And then he spent a few years teaching his guys and ultimately teaching us. And then at the end, to let everyone off the hook who wasn't a fisherman, he said, listen, now, guys, go and make disciples of all nations. Go and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything. And he had already left this amazing, really, uh, like, um, you know, I, I... just example of how to do that like he had just walked for three years okay this wasn't a program this wasn't like um, you know some kind of like gimmick this three-step program to fleece somebody into becoming a disciple he said no actually guys remember you walked with me and I taught you that how you do this is relationally is by loving others all right so that's what we get in the gospels we get the, the training program of Jesus Um, And so hopefully that is what our minds and our hearts are locked into. Hopefully we're breaking free from seeing discipleship or Christianity as something where we come to church on Sunday and that's what makes us Christians. Because that's not what Jesus taught. He said, follow me. Like, guys, listen, when, when we go to work and school and all those kind of things, the question in my mind that helps me more than probably any other question is, is if Jesus woke up inhabiting my body this morning would i do what he's do would he do what i'm doing or would he be doing something totally different would he be serving in different ways would he be speaking in different ways would he be acting in different ways and that's the essence of what he's calling us to do and so this is really kind of our solid uh kind of view for the next few months we're on that little section of jesus saying listen i'm going to make you into fishers of men again parallel to his great commission of hey go and make disciples and baptize them and teach them to obey everything and we've just read this in acts chapter 2 which is awesome i i I need to learn more about this i i lean towards humanism in so many ways when it comes to church in general like if we could just come up with a really great plan then church will be okay if we could come up with a great strategy It'll be fine, right? Like business, like companies, when they have a great strategy, like wouldn't it be great if the church was like Apple and Google? No, probably not, because, uh, you know, Apple and Google don't have saviors and, and lords and, and grace and mercy and justice and all of that kind of stuff, right? But it's very easy because I can look at those things and go, wow, if we just had more of a strategy, if we have more of something, and it's so interesting in the book of Acts, hopefully you're reading this too, is... When they didn't know anything about how the church should look, they didn't convene a committee. They didn't convene a board meeting. They didn't convene people to come together and strategize on what should happen. They prayed. Isn't that amazing? Is there like, I don't know what to do. Let's pray. And as we said before, as we're going on this, is I don't know if we're going to be able to be the disciples we need to be if that isn't kind of our first place we go is the people of prayer 
consistent prayer, deep prayer, faithful prayer, right? I mean, they continually prayed. We see that in Acts 1. And then in Acts 2, just to kind of prove all of this, I don't know of any group of disciples that could have planned Pentecost. I don't know a single one. I've been in a lot of church leadership meetings. No one's come up with an idea that awesome, okay? No, no one has, okay? No one's thrown another guy under the bus as, as you know, I, that's what I love about it. The people are saying, y'all are drunk, you know? Who would have come up with that plan? Go to church and be so weird that your friends that come think you're drunk. <laughs> what kind of plan would that be, Okay? Nobody could have planned it. It was the Holy Spirit. It was God's plan. Worked through imperfect people who just prayed and like, just let me turn myself in to be used by you. Okay, that's where we are. Last week we read one of the most important things. And by the way, Jessica, that was such a good communion. Two things came from, first of all, I want to read that book because it sounds awesome. But second of all, you turned me around on the betrothal thing, you know, because You've heard me say it plenty of times, like baptism is the wedding ceremony of disciples. And then as you were talking, I'm like, well, dang, I think she's got this on straight here. This is really good. So um, that's what we talked about last week, right, was this idea of um, our greatest need initially is, man, we've got to get the sin washed off. And not just like on again, off again. Wouldn't that be horrible? And and maybe I hope this isn't your theology. This was my theology for a lot of years. I grew up in a in a a setting in a church setting um, that was very much about like on again, off again forgiveness, meaning like if you had a really bad day, you weren't saved anymore. Like you better go have a good day tomorrow to make up for your bad day today. Has anybody here ever thought that before okay well that's great i li- i grew up for 23 years believing that and it's still very hard for me to break free and see that hold on a minute that wasn't and thank god that's not what jesus taught this on again off again when you have a good day make up for it, or a bad day make up for it with a good day you know but we saw last week our primary issue initially is we've got to get the sin washed off and we've got to get the holy spirit in Okay, And he succinctly told them that in Acts chapter 2, right off the bat. He's like, listen, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Bam, right there, okay? But we see see this this beginning of the church, right? And I want to pick up right here um, where we left off uh, in verse 41. Those who accepted the message were baptized, and on that day 3,000 people were added to them. And, and I just kind of threw out to you, like, how much do you need to know before you get baptized? Not a whole lot, because it isn't the final exam. It isn't. I mean, it's, it's kind of like, no, this is, listen, God is doing all the work. You're not doing any of the work. There's a very minimal amount of, to do. More than anything is faith in Jesus and lordship in Jesus. I will follow you as my Lord forever. All right. That's really the primary thing that we see right here. And that's one of the things that I just want to share is you've got to consider, uh, first of all, was your baptism a baptism of faith? Did you trust that God was going to do what he said he was going to do? Right. And did you make him Lord? Like it's that simple. And making Jesus Lord doesn't mean that you are perfect because there's a really good chance. uh, And a lot of us here could probably say that, man, after baptism, we were anything but perfect. Anything but perfect. 20 years later, anything but perfect. 40 years down the road, anything but perfect. 
right? And so it doesn't have to do with perfection. It has to do with making a decision, right? Man, you are my Lord, okay? And then we see in verse 41, those who accepted his message uh, and were baptized, that day 3,000 people were added, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. I want you to think about this next verse here. Then fear or awe came over everyone, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and had all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as anyone had a need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple complex and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and humble attitude, praising God and having favor with all the people. And every day the Lord added to them those who were being saved. The early church had a radical togetherness. And they had a radical togetherness, not just privately, but publicly. They met daily in, in public. They had people in their private homes to eat. There was, this, there was a radical togetherness. And it was characterized by joy and humility. This is what we see, and I think oftentimes we think, man, I want to be that way. They rejected materialism to any who had need. All right. And so you think about this as if if they were selling possessions to meet needs, that means they did not have the money to just go and meet the need. All right. That, that didn't mean that, hey, I've got lots of money, so let me help you. But that hopefully just that section hopefully challenges how we live as disciples. How many meals do I eat? I, I bring this up to campus. How many meals do you eat alone? I don't know if we'd find the early church doing that. How often as a family are you opening your doors and having families in your home? Right? That, that was a radical togetherness. How, how often have you sold something because you knew somebody else had a need? Like you sold something, you said, you know what, uh, man, Lauren, Lauren has a need. I, I don't have money for it. She needs a new laptop for school. I don't, have a mon- I, don't, I don't have money for it. So let me go and sell this thing and to give that to her. That was the reality, okay? And it was characterized by joy and humility, right? Those are the things we can just snap our fingers and get, right? Just go, uh, by, uh, by golly, I'm going to be joyful and humble right now, okay? This is amazing, but there's one part of this I want us to really look at because I think it's a game changer, okay? I really do. The more I look at this, there's, there's one word here. In Acts 2.43, it says, awe or fear came over everyone. This this blew my mind as I read this, and I started reading about what's awe. What is awe? You know, and and, and there's even like a debate people have with like, well, awe is like being, wow, that's really neat. And then other people are like, no, it's being scared, it's being fearful, and it's really, it's both. It's both is that it's not one or the other. The feeling of being in the presence of something vast and greater than yourself that exceeds current knowledge structure. That means it's boggled your mind. Like, I can't believe the vastness of that, the height of that, the breadth of that. Something that we are in the presence of and you go, there is something greater than me going on here. That's all. It is both terrifying and enlightening. It's both of those things, okay? 
It is that idea of like, whoa, this kind of scares me for any number of reasons. It's a shift in attention towards something larger and the diminishment of ourselves. Do you understand why the early church could do this? They were in awe. And what does Jesus say? Hey, if you want to follow me, you have to deny yourself. You know, it's really hard to just say, I'm going to say no to myself. Awe does that. Awe makes us smaller, just naturally. All right. Have you experienced that before? Like where you've been in awe of something, you just feel small and insignificant, okay? Isn't that amazing that they were filled with joy and humility and they were filled with awe, which a byproduct of awe is that. Isn't that amazing that that's what it's meant to produce is they were filled with awe. I wonder, here's what I, I tragically have neglected this. When I read that, I'm like, wow, you know what's funny is, is I'm rarely in awe of something. Like, everything I see is kind of like, oh, okay, what's the big deal? Right, I, I've seen that, I've been there, I've understood this, I've thought about that, and, and, and it's pretty boring. Rarely in awe. What is it for you when you've experienced awe? Okay, this is from the Hubble telescope, okay? This is, uh, those are galaxies. There's, it's like 10,000 galaxies right there. Does that put you in awe? Like, for some people, listen, understand, it doesn't have to, okay? You might go, nah, that doesn't do it for me. Space and Star Trek and all that kind of stuff. You know, I don't even believe in Spock. That's okay, okay? (laughs) It doesn't have to be your thing. When I look at that, it really is amazing to me when I think about that because I think if there's 10,000 galaxies right there that we're looking at, and I think of our little galaxy, right? And I think our galaxy, if I were to get in my car and, hit the turbo button and go light speed, it would take me 100,000 years to get across it. At light speed, that blows my mind, okay? But sometimes it's so big, it's kind of even hard, okay? Maybe that's your thing, though, okay, is that is what puts me in a state of awe. Maybe it's something little and tiny. This is strep. (laughs) Isn't that beautiful? (laughs) That's strep throat right there, right? (laughs) Those little spheres, that's on a throat cell. And you look at, that's awesome that we could take that picture. I, did, I know what you're thinking. He drew that by hand. No, I didn't. That's from an electron microscope, okay? I'm saying, wow, okay? Maybe it's the smallest things where you're going, man, little, tiny, like, you dig into this, like, I want to see what a quark looks like. I want to see what gluon looks like. I want to look at all that kind of craziness that's going on inside our cells. I didn't make up those words either, right? That's true, huh? Quarks and glue on. They're real words. Maybe it's newborns. Maybe you go, wow, how, you know what blows my mind? This is a lot of times, right, you labor delivery nurses, man. I mean, it's just like the miracle of, wow, what a beautiful thing. But have you ever thought about what it took in 40 weeks to go from two cells to tens of trillions of cells? Tens of trillions of cells. You're going, wow, what's a trillion? Right? What, what, what's a trillion? Actually, you know what's funny is, is between British standards and, and U.S. standards, billion is different, and so is trillion. It's so weird. When I get to be a billionaire, I'm going to change that, okay? I have a little bit of a problem with that. A trillion is this. If, if, if Jody d- took all the money out of his bank account and we stacked it up in $1 bills, a trillion would go up to 68,000 miles. That's a trillion $1 bills. <laughs> Right. It'd take a couple days to take it all out. I know. Can you imagine that? 
That's what we're talking about, a trillion. So you're talking about a little baby that goes from two cells in 40 weeks to tens of trillions of cells. Maybe that's the thing, and you're like, that blows my mind. That just absolutely blows my mind. Maybe it's, right, uh, Megan and, and Patrick went there, Yosemite. I've walked into Yosemite. This is the thing that did it for me. I, I walked into Yosemite Valley, and I literally felt like every hair on my body, and that is, people, a lot of hair, was standing <laughs> on end, okay? <laughs> and, and right, right, just leave that where it is right there, okay? But I remember looking up and, think, and feeling fear and awe and, and, and just, it was everything. That's the thing for me is what did it. Is that's what does it for me. When we went, me and Abby went on our honeymoon and we went up into the Canadian Rockies and we were driving and it was pitch dark. We, we actually got off the plane at like three in the morning or something and we're driving and it's, there's not a star in the sky actually. It's just, it's pitch black and I'm driving, driving, driving. Then the sun starts coming up and that wasn't the sky I was looking at. Those were mountains. That's why there was no stars. They were these humongous mountains. And I was just like, wow, this blows my mind. Just awe-inspiring. Maybe it's just creation. Maybe it's the planet Earth. Maybe it's the idea that right now we're spinning at 1,000 miles an hour. How would you like to be on that merry-go-round? <laughs> 1,000 miles an hour. And not only that, just to make it great, we're orbiting the sun and we're going 18 miles a second, pl- going around the sun, okay? And to edit, can you imagine driving that fast? 18 miles a second. Huh? Rich has tried that, okay? <laughs> if you had to drive somewhere and it would take you at 18 miles a second an entire year to get there, that's what it takes to orbit the sun is a year at 18 miles per second. To get around it. Maybe that's your thing. That you're like, wow, that, this blows my mind. But isn't there a whole lot of things? I mean, the Bible is chock full of things. Uh, this is just the nature of God right here, okay? This is, this is God doing stuff. And you're going, why did he do that? And how come he did it that way? And what about this? And, and, and all these things is, man, it, it's to blow our minds. It's to blow our minds that the creator of everything all right, is going, hey, listen, you need to get across the little straits I call the Red Sea. Boom! The water's parted, right? And in Deuteronomy 5, verse 15, he actually tells the people, he said, y'all remember that you were slaves before, and I rescued you, and I didn't just take you around on the turnpike to some nice place. I took you through the ocean. Because when it stirs up awe inside of us, things change. Awe changes us, right? Awe is not boring. Awe actually changes much of who we are and how we make decisions, just the empty tomb, right? The awe of that. Sometimes being 2,000 years removed from that, it's hard to have like a, like a point of reference of what that would be like, what that would be like to have a physical, like just he's not there, that tomb is empty, but I'll bet you anything, man, those guys that walked into that tomb, it blew their minds. All right? Absolutely blew their minds. The Bible is full of things. We could think. I mean, we could go. We could, have a, we could have a PowerPoint presentation for three days of all the things that the Bible has that is meant to blow your mind. How many times do you know about the apostles? And they're just like, wow, he just said that and the weather stopped. He just said that and the, the waves ceased. Right? How many times was Jesus just like, no, you ain't seen nothing yet. You haven't seen nothing yet. Like, I can do things to put you in a state of awe 
Because when disciples are filled with awe, things change. The early church, they were filled with awe. All right, and you're like, well, of course they were filled with awe because the apostles were doing like wonders and miracles. And so at that point, did God say, yeah, after the apostles are gone, though, you don't have to be in awe of anything anymore. You know, the Psalm, Psalm 8, that, that's the point of Psalm 8, right? He says, hey, when I look up at your stars, when I look at your creation, when I look at your universe, how are you mindful of little insignificant me? Right? That's just a, the, the, the creation is built to inspire awe in us. It's how it was built, right? Hebrews 12, verse 28. We've read this. We think, wow, okay, that's a cool scripture. Let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe because he's a consuming fire. You know, again, it's this idea of, man, awe. It just keeps, it just keeps welling up. You, you, you just type in awe to to your blue letter Bible app or your whatever concordance you use. And it's all over the place about how the people were in awe and they remembered and all of these things. There's actually scientific studies on this. There's actually a huge one that began in the early 2000s. It says the people experiencing awe on a regular basis or even a semi-regular basis are more likely to be generous. Does that make sense? Like if you, just by definition of awe, if I were in awe and I felt diminished, smaller, like there's, God is so incredible and so great and so amazing. What, what, what is my things matter? Like I'm going to be generous. Let me give stuff away because that doesn't matter. Right? Isn't it funny how these guys weren't, this isn't a Christian study. Right? These guys weren't trying to like prove Acts 2.42. They're more likely to be helpful to others. You know? Sometimes it's easy to go the behavior route, and it's just like, listen, guys, let's get a softer heart for the lost so we serve them more and love them more. Let's like get a softer heart, and here's what I would say is let's be in awe, and I think that will happen. Like, let's get in awe, because I think then... We're going to get our then ourselves get out of the way, and we're going to go. Hold on a minute. What? Why wouldn't I? Help? I mean, as insignificant as small as as meaningless, and God still thinks of me, and I'm like blown away in fear, and just by the vastness of what I'm experiencing here, they're more likely to help others and less likely to have issues of entitlement. Right? I mean, you understand what that means? What I deserve to have? We're all, this ain't a generational thing. This is a human being. Entitlement is human being thing. It's not millennial. It's not baby boomer. It's not all that kind of stuff. I mean, there's, believe me, people throughout time have gone through and had issues of entitlement. Like, I deserve better than this. Like, God, why aren't you giving me more? Clemson University, why aren't you giving me more? Clemson Hills Church, why aren't you giving Like, I'm entitled to more. He said, listen, when we experience all... We're less likely. People are less likely to have that, okay? It's funny. What they found in their study is is that there's less materialism and more wanting to experience things, like wanting to go and experience things that are bringing on awe of, of getting out, like, right, not being a couch potato maybe. Like when you're in awe, you, sitting on your sofa doesn't do it anymore. 
when you're in awe, sitting around eating by yourself doesn't do it anymore. It makes us less materialistic. Awe increases the idea that time is plentiful. That is amazing. It increases the idea that time is plentiful. We've got plenty of time. When we are in awe, there's almost a peace that settles over you. There's almost like a lack of, the, like, like the fire alarm is going on in my life. It's like, you know what, it's going to be okay. Have you ever experienced that? I mean, is that something? I hope you have. I hope that, it's, that, that at some point, at least once, you've gone, wow. It's... And you mean my patience has changed, and we actually engage in more leisure activities? You know what's interesting about that is that the first century church, what they do? They just had people in their homes and ate more. That's a leisure activity. But I don't have any time to have people over my home. Maybe when we're filled with awe, there's this idea of like, it's going to be all good. Who am I? Come over to my house because we're going to chill out for a little bit. You know why? Because I think when we're in awe of God and his greatness and his majesty, you want to know what? Homework is a little less urgent. It, right? I mean, that, yeah, that's a good thing, right? You're going, no, but you, you have to get like all A's and you have to do, listen, no one has asked me my GPA after grad school or my bachelor's degree. No one's asked me. They haven't been like, hey, Keith, did you, what'd you get in exercise physiology? No one, listen, in 20 years, no one's asked me that. No one cares. All right. But I will say this is some, if school is our Lord, we will pour all of our time, effort, and energy into that one thing, and then we'll expect God to just show up and, change, and make our life fulfilling. I think when we're in awe, we're able to go, I need to do my best in school, but my school will not be Lord of me. My school will not keep me from being hospitable. My school will not. I will not obey school to say that I can't build relationships. Okay? I think that's what it is. It's like, man, when I'm in awe, this is what it produces. We see time is more abundant. We're willing to help others. And the byproduct of awe is joy and humility. It's what I'm, it's, I'm glad to be preaching this here because it's like all of us are good at joy and humbleness. <laughs> it's going to be hard when we go out there and talk to the people who aren't, right? <laughs> My goodness. Huh? <laughs> right. Rich, Rich is going, really? He's like, yeah. Rich was thinking the same thing. It's like, okay, tell me how we're going to tell those people, you know? Joy and humility, right? And it's amazing. We wonder, well, we'll get to that in a minute. How do we maximize this? This is the thing, man. I'm just, I'm locked into this one thing. And they were filled with awe. All right, that awe should not stop just because it's 2,000 years later, just because I'm not doing some kind of miracle or your neighbor or group of three leaders not doing some miracle. How do we maximize this? How do we actually, like, that it can become a part of our lives? Well, I told you in Deuteronomy 5, one of the ways that God says is, hey, remember all the things I've done for you. Because when you look back at all of the ways that God has worked, it almost is like more powerful than when you were going through them. I'll give you an example. So me and Abby, when we did the exercise, the 15 goods and five bads, okay? Now, just to bring everybody up to speed on what we're talking about here is this is kind of an expansion. Um, we, a year or so ago, a couple years ago, when my brother came and preached and he did a mental health lesson, he talked about every day doing an exercise called three goods and a bad. 
And it's three things that you're grateful for that God has done in your life. And one thing that day that you didn't like, that didn't go your way, that was bad. And then figuring out how can you be thankful for that too. All right. It's such a huge, it's great. Since we're doing this 21 day fast, we're like, let's expand this. Let's take it on a larger scale. And so me and Abby were kind of just going through it together. We were doing the 15 and five together and just kind of talking about it. And it's amazing when you look back and I'm, and I mean, we're going through our lives and going, wow, how, how did that happen? And how did God get us here? And how, man, that bad thing, remember that bad thing happened that got us here. And then this thing happened. And then now we're in Clemson and this person was in our life. And, that, and, and you're just thinking, wow, this is so amazing how God has done that. And every st- looking back, I'm going, I don't think I made one decision about it. Like from the, from the time when my goal was to play Major League Baseball, I don't think I made a decision about baseball or college. It was just God just like it was clear. All of these ways he got us where he needed us or we needed to be, and it blew my mind. It was enough to just think about and going, hold on a minute. What is there to worry about when, when I look back on 20 years of my life or 30 years of my life and going, wow, God did things that I wasn't even praying for him to do. I mean, God worked miraculously in so many ways, in the good and the bad. That brings awe, is that. That's one of those things you're going, man, maybe I need to do that more often, okay? Here's the thing, too, right here. Nature. This is a big one. This is a big one, right? Netflix kind of ruins nature for us, (laughs) right? Because it's like, you know, we're stuck in the house, I am so grateful to live in a place like Clemson because we are surrounded. I mean, we are bombarded with beauty in nature. I mean, all around us. I'm talking about you drive five minutes from here and you could be in the middle of a gorgeous forest. You could be walking around and it really does. Just walking around kind of blows your mind. You, you could drive a half hour from here and see things that will blow your mind. You can go an hour from here and see things all around us. It's like we're in this thing that is so cool. And I wonder, like, how are you taking advantage of those things? How, how, how are we doing with that? How, how often is it like, hey, we're going to take the day and, and we're going to just get some friends and go hiking. We're going to go up on the mountain, man. We're going to get up there. And I, I don't care. It doesn't have to be Mount, Mount Vesuvius, you know. <laughs> you can get on the top of Table Rock and it'll blow your mind when you look out. All right? You go over to a pretty place, and you're looking out, and you're just like, wow, that blows my mind. My fear is this, and, and why I have this fear, because I see it in my own life, is I think about that less and less. I think about just like what I have to do during the day and what I have to get through. But then when I read this, when I started reading about this, when I started studying this, when I started really seeing the impact of awe, I started going, wow, this is, you want to know what? I think I could be wrecking my spiritual life if I don't get out and start really ingesting some things that are just going to bring awe to us and our friends, all right? Our brothers and sisters, our roommates, our children, okay? How many of you, I mean, there's a lot of you in here, I know that, that this is the thing. You go out and you go, man, I am refreshed when I'm out there, all right? And part of it has to do with silence and part of it has to do with unplugging, but part of it has to do with just awe, all right? is how well are we doing with this? And here's one that they found in their whole study that they did, is they said, every day leave your comfort zone. Because there's something that that creates a sense of awe when we step out of our comfort zone. And whether we fail, 
or we just try or we're successful. There's something about that that changes us. There's something about that that produces awe. There's something about that that produces awe in God who's calling us out of our comfort zone. There's a lot to this, but that's, like I said, is this, this section that we're reading here um, in Acts 2.42 through 47, um, when I think about how did they have that radical togetherness? They were filled with awe. How do they have time to do that? Like every day, how do they have time? Well, it's fascinating. The more we learn about awe, as I've shared, the more, we, the more they learn about awe, the more they see that you have a better sense of time being plentiful. And that may seem like, but Keith, it, just because I'm in awe doesn't mean that, that I have less homework or less class time or I don't have to go to work as much. That's not the point. But so often we view time and money, we, we tend to have more of both, actually, than we think oftentimes. Because we don't stop to kind of think about it. We're in such a panic mode all the time about not having enough and not thinking about how we're spending it that when we finally kind of get a handle on it, we realize, I have more than I thought. And and so much of anxiety, like, tricks us into thinking, you don't have enough of anything. You don't have enough money. You don't have enough time. You don't have enough. That's what anxiety kind of produces. And God is going, no, actually, he's about abundance. There's plenty. I've given you everything you need for life and godliness. Everything that you need for that. All right? And so you think of as we read through Acts 2.42 through 47, you're like, man, they met daily, and they had people over in their homes. Like, were, did they just, were they just like inherently rich, and they didn't have to work? I don't think so. I think when you're in awe, as we've learned, there's just, you get an idea of, I have plenty of time to do these things. Like, why wouldn't knowing Jesus and seeing what we saw In fact, why wouldn't we relationally be that way? Why would we lock ourselves in a house alone? Why would we not go be amongst people? Why would I just eat all my meals alone? Why would those things happen? It doesn't register when we're in awe. It just doesn't. To reject materialism, to be joyful and to be humble, they had all of these things, but they were filled with awe. Now, here's the deal is, and this may be one of the the most important things I can do as a preacher all right, um, is I can't call everybody and like set something up for you to experience awe this week. It just isn't the possibility. I actually couldn't even give you all of the different examples. You're like, you know, I'd have done that if you would have listed off all the waterfalls in South Carolina I could go see. That would have been so much easier for me. Okay, no, no, no. Here's the, the best thing I can do is to point you and me and my family to a place that is good pasture. That we can go and feed and say, that's where good pasture is. That's where good food is. Okay, now, now, now let's go and eat in the pasture. You may go, I ain't eating in that pasture. You, you may be doing it with the 21-day fast. I ain't praying for an hour. Uh, you don't have to pray for an hour. <laughs> I'm just saying, that's good pasture. I ain't reading that article. Okay. You, listen, the sheep don't have to eat, but the sheep die that don't eat. Okay? So that's the thing is, is I'm, I'm pointing you, like, here's good pasture. Right? You say, I'm not eating. Okay, fine. But I will say, when we eat of this pasture, man, we see things. And not just from a Christian perspective, I mean, the world is caught up with this, which is this idea of, man, all of these amazing things here. So let's go back and read Acts 2.42 again as we finish up, through four, or 43 through 47. Then all came on everyone 
as many wonders and signs were performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together. They held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as anyone had a need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple complex. They broke bread from house to house. They ate with joyful and humble attitudes, praising God and having favor with all the people. Isn't that amazing? They weren't, they weren't jerks to the other people in town. They said the people liked them. They were in favor with all the people. And every day the Lord added to them the, those who were being saved. Every single day. What's the implication? Is they were doing this stuff, they were saying, hey, friend, buddy, neighbor, come and do it with me. Right? That's what awe does as well. Is, hey, you've got to come and, and see this. Come and join this. It wasn't like they were just all sequestered and clustered alone. It was this idea, no, hey, man, come and see this with me. Come and get this. This is awesome. And the Lord added there to their number daily those who are being saved.